And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Kevin, it's great to have you with us. Good to be with you, Dan. Kevin is pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. And uh, Kevin, our discussion today um, is about the Bible, and uh, in particular, um, how do you read the Bible? That, that question may kind of strike our listeners as kind of odd or funny, but it's, it's a sincere question because we can come at the Bible with um, you know, different perspectives, and basically how does God want us to read his word is, is, is basically the question. I know there's a lot of layers to this question, but uh, maybe to get us started, you can tell us what first comes to your mind as that question is posed. Well, Dan, it is a thick question, as you say, with a lot of layers. I think what first comes to my mind is asking ourselves, what is the Bible? Sort of defining what the book is. And there are some standard approaches to this. We could say that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant Word of God, which is true and must be affirmed. But once we affirm that, there's still more to say, I think, as to what the book is and what its purpose and function are. And the Bible is uh, the story, I think, is one of the best ways to put it, to think of it as the story, the narration of uh, the triune God's creation, his providential preservation and ordering of all things, his providing atoning reconciliation and redemption in Christ, and his ultimately consummating and perfecting all things for the sake of his people. Um, it's that story. It's the story of the triune God's action in creating and then in governing and ruling and calling out a people to bless the nations uh, in history. And so the Bible is... if you will, situated in what theologians call the economy, meaning the, uh, the area where God acts in space and time. And the Bible emerges out of that economy, and it comes to us through that history, and yet it comes to us as a divine word which, you know, norms and uh, governs and directs with authoritative and divine force all of our understanding. But it is a story, and that means... When we start to say that the Bible is a story, we're starting to say that it has a certain coherence, it has a certain purpose, and it has a certain center. And the center of that story is Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible points to him and gravitates around him and is drawn into him and is fulfilled in him. And so um, these sort of preliminary insights help us to sort of situate the Bible and ask ourselves, big questions about what it is, what it's trying to do, and how it functions for us. Now, when you say the Bible is a story, some people may come to the opinion that, oh, Kevin doesn't really believe the Bible is uh, a, a true story. It's more like a fairy tale. Can you help us understand what you mean by story? I just mean it tells, it narrates, it discloses to us, the, the mighty works of God in creation and in redemption mm. and in consummation. And so, in that sense, um, story is a, a rubric which is unavoidable. Our lives are stories. 
no one thinks that we, by that kind of a statement, right. we think that our lives are mythology or legend. Um, certainly I'm not using the term in that sense. <laughs> it is the story of the world, the Bible. It, it, mm. it goes back to the world's beginning, to the world's corruption and fall, and to the restoration of all things in Christ, you know, and, and the consummation of all things in Christ. And mm-hmm. so it is, if you will, the comprehensive story of the cosmos. And it has a center in Jesus Christ, and therefore the Bible has to be read Christologically, meaning, as Paul says, all the promises of God are yea and amen in him. Or as Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 5, search the scriptures, right? for they speak of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you would have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he spoke of me. Oh, yes. Or you might remember our Lord's conversation with his disciples in Luke 24 after the resurrection, where he expounds to them the law and the Psalms and the prophets and, and speaks of all the things in Scripture which are written of me needing to be fulfilled. And so he sees himself as the fulfillment of the whole canon, law, Prophet Psalms is essentially shorthand for the whole of the Old Testament Scripture, and Jesus sees himself as the one to whom that Scripture points and of whom that Scripture speaks. Mm-hmm. You already anticipated a question I had, and that was um, Old Testament, New Testament. People might think, well, I'll have one or the other, or I'm a New Testament Christian. How might you answer our, that that sort of a Yeah, comment? I think that that does some amount of uh, violence or places some amount of stress on the idea of a single, coherent, unfolding drama or story. Um, and that's why I use that language, because one of the implications of that language is that the Old Testament, as follows from Jesus' exposition of the whole Old Testament to his disciples after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament is a Christian book. It is Christian scripture. Christ is present in it, and it speaks of Christ. Um, Of course, it does it in a a way that is uh, preparatory, in a way that is promise pointing to New Testament fulfillment. Nevertheless, Christ is present in the Old Testament and he speaks in it, and is revealed in it. Mm. Um, And so we have an organic, unfolding story. And so this is important, I think, when it comes to a person's own Bible reading. I mean, not only does it mean certain simple things, like maybe we should have a, a systematic, orderly approach to Bible reading, it means that we have to treat the book as having some sort of frame or coherent uh, pattern of which Christ is the center. And that means we have to ask ourselves certain sorts of questions when we're reading a book. What book is this? Where am I in the history of redemption? How does this book hook into the big story? Where can I see Christ in this text? Those sorts of questions um, should drive our reading of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Kevin, are there different genres, uh, even though it's one whole, there's a story unfolding, uh, Old Testament preparatory, revealing Christ, but are there different genres? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, obviously there are um, many genres. There's narrative, uh, different, even different types of narrative. There's a lot of narrative in First and Second Samuel and First and 
Kings. There's history, which you also find in the, the Kings and in the Chronicles. And uh, there are poems, like the Psalms. There are pro- mm-hmm. Proverbs. There's wisdom literature. There's the um, critical, if you will, um, prophetic, incisive, engaging uh, literature of the prophets. The Gospels have their own sort of a genre. The Gospels are stories of the life of Jesus Christ, um, often leading up to the, his passion and suffering. Then you have actual letters, uh, epistles, which are written either from Paul to another person or from Paul or Peter to a church. You have apocalyptic literature, which speaks of the end of the world and is heavy on its use of symbols. You have that in Revelation. Uh, you have that in Daniel. You see that to some extent also in Zechariah. And so, yes, there's a whole wide range of genre. And, of course, there are many authors uh, across many centuries. And so, while we have here the divinely inspired Word of God, it is also a fully human word. We can tell that John has a different vocabulary than Paul or than Peter. They have a different style, and they have uh, slightly different concerns. And it's, it's relatively easy to see that the authors are not just automatons, mm-hmm. that their real humanity, that their, their preparation, their life, their intellect, their social setting, their environment shape them, and Isaiah is very different than Amos. Um, and so the Bible as a divine book is nevertheless a fully human book situated in, you know, cultural historical situations written to specific churches at specific times by specific men with specific gifts and talents. And uh, that's important, too, because that means it's a legitimate endeavor, in fact, a necessary one, to ask historical questions, to ask, who was Paul? When did he live? When did he write this? What was his training? What was happening in Corinth? All of these kinds of questions are not just academic exercises for scholars. There are a way that Bible readers take the humanity of the Bible seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the... Um I want to say mystical side, but I don't want to use that word. There's something unique about Scripture from just a just an ordinary book, let's say, um, because um, God uses His words by His Holy Spirit. Can you talk to that a little bit? Well, this goes back to our first assertion, Dan. It is that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant and therefore infallible Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 speaks of Scripture, Holy Scripture being God-breathed, meaning breathed out by God, mm. the product of the, the breath of God. Uh, and the, So the Holy Scripture is the product of men, Second Peter 1 says, being born along by the Holy Spirit. It, it mm. doesn't come, it, while it comes through the full humanity of, of, of men, it doesn't depend on the will of man. It's a divine product and it is a divine word, it's the gift of the Spirit, in human form. And these are human languages, and these are fully human words, which God, if you will, has inspired and set his seal upon, mm-hmm. such that when we say these human words, we can also say at the same time, this is the word of God, this is the word of the Lord. But, but to your particular question, I think uh, another way to get at the, the role of the Spirit in reading the Bible is this. If Christ is the center and we're trying to read it in the light of Christ, we can't do this simply as isolated, atomistic individuals. Mm 
Mm-hmm. There's a great disease of individualism in the American church, and isolated, idiosyncratic, individual Bible reading, which often can be um, problematic. Jesus founded a body. He founded a community, because we are social beings. And so an important thing that needs to be said is that the Bible is intended to be read in the covenant community of the church, by the church, in the church, with the church, through the church, listening together to the the risen Christ, who is the church's prophet and Lord and who speaks through Holy Scripture. But it's a together thing. I mean, originally, remember, in in the early centuries of the church, they didn't have printed Bibles the way we have them today. The primary place people heard the word read and preached was in the gathered congregation. And it's clear that these letters were meant to be read in the churches. Revelation chapter 1 says, Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this letter, meaning in the, in the assemblies, one will be a reader, the rest will be hearers. And so it, it is a, um, a modern and I think subversive thing to think of Bible reading as primarily, primarily a private individual act. Mm-hmm. It's primarily a corporate act of the church, what we would call an ecclesial action. It's an action that we do together in community. Now, this is very hard to grasp for modern Americans, and, it, and, it's, and in no way do I mean to undermine the benefits and the necessity of studying the Bible yourself in private. That should be done. It's a wholesome and good thing, but it can never be un, untethered from the Bible as a book given to the community, which has been graced with the power and the light of the Spirit to illuminate and to interpret it. So just as the, the Bible comes to us through the history of Israel and through the history of the church, it is read in corporate community. And that by itself means we're listening to our fathers, our, our, our um, ancestors who've gone before us in the faith. We listen to them with reverence and respect. And we don't assume that we can get these things right in an isolated way. The other thing that this does is it cuts off this practice where um, the Bible is treated as a sort of collection of um, religious literature, inspired to be sure, divine to be sure, even God's Word to be sure, but which primarily functions as devotional input into my life. Mm-hmm. So people read the Bible looking for, you know, some immediately relevant thing to them as opposed to trying to hear the story and trying to in other words inject yourself into the story don't demand that the story inject itself into you mm. because you've been crucified with Christ and you've been baptized into Christ and you've been taken up into his story and so there's a kind of inversion of our basic egotism our self-centeredness that has to happen in good bible reading mm-hmm. good bible reading is challenging it's transformative it requires repentance it requires us to come to the text and say the text and what it is saying is something i must enter into i must not use the text like a piece of devotional literature and and find nuggets in it for me that particular way of reading the bible leaves the self intact it leaves the, the isolated individual self at the center. And while it's true there are things in the Bible for you, 
They're only there for you in as much as you, you have died with Christ and been taken up into Israel's and Jesus's and the church's story and are gathered with others. And so there really is, in reading the Bible, a radical kind of inversion that's different than reading any other piece of literature. Mm. Well, that's fascinating. I, I love to hear you talk about this. Um, as you were describing how that we can get isolated, I was reminded of uh, a one-time popular Bible teacher, maybe not too popular, but certainly was on the radio, and that was Harold Camping years ago. And um, he got to the point where, well, for some time, he was pushing this supposed deeper spiritual meaning. And as you uncovered the layers, you found out that he was the only one that that had the uh, <laughs> the secret key that unlocked all right, these scriptures. Right. Um, any comments about that approach? I, I, you, you, you basically already covered it. Yeah, but. I think it's an I think it's an instance, Dan, uh, of what I'm talking about. That it, yeah. it is quite possible, and it happens sadly, that a person can have their nose shoved in the Bible for hours a day and still come up with a whole raft of bizarre opinions if they're cut off from the church. And that, and that must mean more than simply even just their local church. Mm-hmm. It must mean what the Spirit has said to the, the same Spirit who gave Scripture over time and across time, has spoken to our brothers and sisters over time and across time, and we are in communion with them, the communion of the saints, and we must hear them. In fact, without them without their instrumental role, we wouldn't have the canonical scriptures. Mm. This is not to say that the canonical scriptures are subordinate to the church. They're not, at least on a Protestant reading of them. But we do acknowledge that they came down to us through historical communities, to which we owe a debt. Right. And so reading here then all of a sudden becomes a, a... a demanding kind of activity. And, and this is another area where Holy Scripture is, is different than any other book, in that you can't simply just assemble a set of reading skills like you might to read a novel or to read some poetry and say, now with these reading skills I'm going to be able to distill the meaning of this text and apply it to my life. Because reading is always taking place in the presence of the risen one who speaks, who sends the Spirit. And not only does he speak, he corrects, he cleanses, he judges. So the the intersection between the, the Christian and the text is something of a bloody crossroads. The text is always judging us, hauling us up, um, forcing us to question our assumptions and our allegiances. The text is aiming at transformation and renewal and repentance and and glorious transformation into the image of Jesus Christ, and no other text does that with us. Mm. In fact, um, you know, I think I've said this to you before, is that I think one of the reasons it is so difficult for us to get regular, repetitive patterns of Scripture reading into our lives is, is not just that we find the Old Testament difficult or we find the material far removed from our lives, although that is certainly something that has to be addressed. It is that we know that reading this book is a battle. Yes. Because reading this book is about sanctification, and we are recalcitrant preachers, and the Spirit is working through this Word 
to renew our minds, to transform our reason and our affections and our desires and our will. And that makes the reading of Holy Scripture somewhat traumatic. Now, of course, that doesn't mean it's not without joy or comfort or or solitude. I don't want to be heard in a one-sided way. But the, the Holy Scripture is out to change us. And these lines of thought, I think, are most necessary because we live in a radically individualized and self-centered culture. And the idea that we shed this kind of individual self-centeredness just because we're reading our Bibles um, has to be challenged. I um, want us to, we've got maybe uh, five minutes left, Kevin, to now talk about the devotional a bit more. And I, I think what's come out of this is that the, the key to our devotion is really um, that we are part of that covenant community and and that we hear the Word of God in community. And so um, now as, um, as I go home from church, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and during the week, um, I'm... I'm hopefully reading God's word and maybe maybe very personally what um sections of scripture um have been useful in your life and probably there's many of them and maybe there are different ones at different times during your life but the devotional part now if you will Well then I think that the Psalms are unsurpassed when it comes to the concern that you're raising here. Mm. Uh, John Calvin called the Psalms the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Hmm. It's as if it, it's, a, it's a, a medical book for your soul and all of its parts. And surely, you know, for thousands of years now, both Israel and the Church have found solace and comfort and strength and hope in the midst of the anguish and the, you know, the trials and the joys the, the everyday struggles of life, the Psalms are probably unsurpassed um, at doing that. And I think uh, that is a place to go where you have found it difficult to read Scripture or you found Scripture to be dry. I always recommend read the Psalms. Mm. Read the Psalms. And if you want a program, a very simple one is there's 150 of them and there's about 30 days a month so you can read five a day. Or what I often do is, let's say today is August 28th, you would read Psalm 28, 58, 88, 118, and 148. So you read every 30th Psalm mm. every day for a month, and you're through the whole Psalter, and you start to, to pick up its cadences and, and rhythms. And I think that's um, quite helpful. Another helpful thing to connect to the life of the Church is this device known as a lectionary, which many historical churches use, and hundreds of millions of Christian churches use them, where there are three readings in a public worship service, and this goes back to the ancient church, and many churches that stem from the Reformation do it as well, where you have an Old Testament lesson, a New Testament lesson, there's often a psalm for the day, and then a gospel lesson, three or four readings, four Mm -hmm. if you count the psalm. But... These historical churches have developed daily lectionaries that take you through the Bible over the course of, you know, two or three years. 
And a daily lectionary is a good way to be reading the Bible that sort of connects up and syncs up with the public reading of the Word on Sundays. It's a way of saying, I'm not going to let my own idiosyncratic concerns drive my Bible reading. I'm going to let the wisdom of the Church sort of shape. Now, there's other ways to do this, of course. There are all sorts of plans for reading the Bible through in a year or two years, and, and, you know, almost all of them are very good. The advantage of reading a daily lectionary, though, is you know that there are hundreds of millions of Christians around the world that are reading those texts today. Mm. Yeah. Well, Kevin, this has been great, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, taking your time today to, to join us for a discussion of how to read the Bible. How is it supposed to be read? And um, you've covered a lot of ground here in a short period of time. Uh, we've got maybe 15 seconds left. Any wrap-up thought you want to leave with the listener before we end today's discussion? I think the two big things that I would stress are it must be read in community. However you can find a way to facilitate that, that's crucial. And it must be read such as to hear and to see and to be driven to Jesus Christ, not purely as some sort of academic exercise. Mm, well put. Today my guest has been Dr. Kevin Sherritt. He is Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, and we've been talking about how to read the Bible. Uh, This episode is up on our website. Please check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. 